Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune Pool to dining in Hearst's private guesthouse overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. I'm your host, Tom Wilmer, reporting from the Museum of the Pacific War in Fredericksburg, Texas. This is David Shields. You're in Fredericksburg, Texas at the National Museum of the Pacific War. And what do you do here, David? I am the museum director. That's a full-time job, huh? It really is. It is full-time. Tell us how you got here and where you came from. Thank you. I'm not a Texan. I'm an American, but I am new to Texas. I came in 2018 when I came to this museum as the education director. And I was there for almost three years. And then I went down the street to our sister organization. We don't compete for museums at the Pioneer Museum. I was the director there. And I recently came back about a month ago. Definitely by choice. Oh, absolutely. What is most touching, most close to your heart about what drives you? I think it's a story of freedom. You know, one of the unique features of the United States is that we are an immigration country. We're all immigrants, whether just yesterday or 400 years ago. That's how we got set up. Most of us have come here for a purpose, and I think what drives a lot of us to come here is the idea of freedom. Economic freedom, political freedom, a place where you can find a way to live your own life. And at the museum here, one of your missions is capturing primary source interviews and information and want to talk to us about that. Sure. Uh, one of our primary jobs is we're a steward. We're a collector of the artifacts of the Pacific War to the extent that we can that are unique items. We certainly don't want to have a warehouse that's 50,000 square feet full of everything, but we try to collect those items that represent that story of the war. The war of the service personnel, but also the Americans at home. And I think it's important to state that one of the things that distinguishes our museum, a particularly historic military museum, is that we tell the story from a witness account, from a first-person account. Think of it as the sailor's story, a soldier's story, the marine story, rather than a very large political general story looking at the war that way. We try to bring out along the way those individual stories, and that makes it very compelling and interesting for our visitors. And it's a real critical time in history because there's a sunset to the people that were alive and were soldiers in World War II. I think over a thousand are dying per week. Yeah, it's a grim statistic. Certainly by now, we don't see very many of those generation coming in to visit the museum. What's interesting, though, is that second generation, their children, have taken up the mantle. One of the questions was asked by me recently when looking at our memorial garden, which has been set up with plaques and memorial bricks to remember the people who fought in the war and the ships they were on and all that sort of thing. That actually is going up. 
the interest to have a plaque erected here is going up because their children want to remember their family that way. So although those first persons are not coming in, the second persons are coming in here. And we've done our utmost over the past 30 years to record their stories through our digital collection of oral histories. Is that accessible to the public? Yes, it is, Tom. You can go on site. You'll see one of our drop-down menus takes you to a site where you can have access to our old history. That's really cool. Talk to us about some of the other things that are closest to your heart and drive you. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that I had worked at the Pioneer Museum, which is run by the Gillespie County Historical Society. And that looks at the German pioneers that came to Texas in the mid part of the 19th century. And some people thought, wow, that's going to be a real hard change going back to a museum that looking at the mid 20th century, uh, almost 100 years later. I said, you know what, though, what connects both those museums is freedom. The Germans that left Germany in the 1840s were looking for economic freedom. The irony was that their nutrition was going up, they had better diet, but their political system wasn't prepared for all these large families. Society and an economy based on agriculture could not sustain all those extra people because of primogeniture. So what are all these extra sons going to do? Well, they were looking for somewhere to go to make a living. But you know, when they came here, they wanted to have that opportunity to start their families and their homes. But when you look at what the Americans did in 1941, they were doing the same thing. They could have made a deal with the Japanese. They could have made all kinds of accommodations, the same way Churchill could have made a deal with Hitler. But both Churchill and Roosevelt realized that freedom was at stake. Our system of world order was at stake. So both these museums are connected by that concept of freedom, people willing to risk everything for freedom. Talk to us about what you have here, what you think is way coolest. Oh, sure. Well, we have lots of large macro artifacts. We have Sakamaki's mini-sub. Uh, that's one of the first things that you see when you pass seeds of conflict and America unprepared. That's the big macro artifact you see, and that is the original mini-sub, the only one left. It had beached up on Coral Reef during the day of the invasion. Two people are in a 75-foot boat. One drowned, and he survived and became our first prisoner of war in the Pacific. And I think that's so exciting because it's so visceral. Right next to it is one of the hatch doors of the Arizona. You can touch it. You can see the oil stain on it. You can see the blowtorch hole that was put in to try to determine if they could rescue anyone. And that really seems to hit home to a lot of people. When they look at that, they assume it looks like some type of projectile effect. But when you tell them that rescuers were out there trying to create a hole to help people, it brings it up home, all the hundreds of people that drowned in that ship. So I think the large macro artifacts are very, very cool. But you have a PT boat. Oh, yes. That's great. Well, I'm a big fan of John F. Kennedy and PT Boat 109, but we have our own. Uh, we have a section of our museum called the Pacific Combat Zone where we have a large Avenger. That was the type of plane that President Bush flew in. And then we have a PT boat. It was actually in the Mediterranean, so it was interesting to people when they see it. They see all the swastika flags crossed out that they had sunk. But there you go. You have two macro artifacts that connect George Bush, a president, and President Kennedy. A Republican, a Democrat, 
cut, but did the right thing for freedom. Okay, a little bit more about some of the cool things you have, because you have a lot. Sure, so we have a B-25 right inside the museum. This was the plane that Doolittle would have flown. Fascinating story. We talk about the fact that Americans were scared, but you look at this plane and what they had to do. They only had a number of weeks to train. They'd never flown those large planes off of pre-World War II aircraft care, which bears no resemblance to the Gerald R. Ford that we have today. And they didn't even know if it would work. And that mission to reassure Americans that we can win this war, that's pretty exciting. As you go through, you see a model of the H-bomb, well, not a model. It was one of the H-bomb casings that was developed and could have been used. And that's really a sobering event. In that particular area of the museum, the sound effect is replicated of what it sounded like in Hiroshima after the bomb was dropped. So it sounds like a windstorm. And there you depict the stories of why it was done, the effect of it, and the hope that we never use it again. But there you can actually touch the yellow casing of that bomb casing. Fascinating. So one of your primary missions is education and bringing in school groups. Talk to us about what works, in what ways do these kids engage and get it and get passionate about history? It's uh, very important because they are our future. Even if you look at it just from an economic point of view, if you don't have the next generation buying into your museum, they won't donate, they won't support. But the reality is this is their history too. These are their families. They are people just like them that fought in that war. We have just recently opened, well I should say Saturday, I'm two days ahead of myself, a children's exhibit. And that features the lives of three typical Americans. One in Texas, a farm boy. One is a black boy that was uh, from Chicago. And another is a Japanese girl in an internment camp. And in these specialized areas, you get to see what the war meant to them, how they felt how they reacted to it. But our field trips are obviously the classic way where you get kids to come in there. We create specialized docent trips or coordinated tours that take them through that throughout our museum. But we also realize that sometimes money can be a barrier. Sometimes the time away from school can be a barrier. So we've created with Connect to Texas our distance learning program. This is an exciting program where we can take our museum into these classrooms and we do it free of charge. So a lot of the school districts around the country, more than just Texas, engage and log on? Glad you reminded me of that. That's true. This isn't uh, just for Texas. This is actually for the world. When we started this, I believe in 2019, it's the end of 2019 when we started this, one of our first schools was from Nigeria. Can you imagine? That's really cool. So our first was from Nigeria, and we've had other uh, students from around the world. Obviously, a lot of it is Texas. We align all of our distance learning lesson plans to the TEKS and to the STAR exam. But a lot of that is closely associated to the national standards. So this is very accessible for all teachers around the country. What's closest to your heart? As I said, it's uh, storytelling. When you can create a, a museum that is not insipid, a museum that actually sometimes is characterized as a war museum and you can take a young person a teenager too cool for school to come to this museum and find something that stops them something that gets them to think and it inspires them then you've done your job you let them take away something that they can think about so for me it isn't one artifact because I don't want to be prejudiced you may like something else we have wonderful collections of model ships I love that stuff but other people like the uniforms other people like the flags the incense we recreate different rooms of a ship so you get the sense of what it was like in the Battle of Leyte Gulf in that major one of the biggest naval battles of the world and you can go inside of a ship to feel that way but to me the coolest 
coolest thing to do is to be a storyteller and get people to listen, to find something that they like. So we're always asking, I've said my thing, what do you want to know? And that's what inspires me. So you've been around the kids when they're touring here. What are those epiphanous moments and experiences where you see the kids get it? That is a great question, and it's never what you think sometimes. You would think that the flashy things gets them. But you know, sometimes when uh, they look at the Arizona hat store, they think about that. When they see the pictures of the gaunt Americans and others that were marched in Bataan when they surrendered at Corregidor, I think that gets their attention. When they see the Americans being released at the end of the war, they see that. What we try to do is not just merely look at the gratuitous nature of violence, but simply to tell them this is what the cost of freedom looks like. And you should enjoy your freedom. And the freedom isn't defined by some political ideology or some concept that you have. It is for you to be free. And that's what I meant when I said that the Germans who came here in the mid-19th century were the same here and the same today. Are we not fighting for freedom in our own country? Maybe not as dramatic as we see in the Ukraine, but we're all doing the same thing. Freedom matters. And so I think that uh, inspires those epiphanous moments. And you watch the kids get that. Yes, they get quiet. And whenever uh, kids get quiet, our target audience tends to be fourth and seventh graders and then 11th graders, only because a lot of our lesson plans are catered to that. Our education team, we have a wonderful team of educators, former teachers that were in the school system. They can tailor their program from anyone. But that group between fourth and twelfth grade, they're great. I joke that my favorite group, I'll get in trouble for this I guess, but we were all fifth graders once so maybe that'll work, is fifth graders because they're like grown-up kids. You know, after they get into middle school and they change and then high school they change, but in fifth grade they're grown-up kids and I remember I did a tour of the um, the PT boat that we have and I was telling them a story about John F. Kennedy what he did and they were all fascinated. They wanted to ask questions about what that would have been like how hot was the sun he did all that swimming did he get sick was he scared how did he cope with it and I said he was scared he shared later in his life he was very scared but he coped and went through it and I think that's the lesson because kids they get scared not maybe as dramatic as having to swim for their life in the South Pacific but they get scared and so our museum offers stories of how other men and women and older kids like them overcome being scared Parting thoughts, things closest to your heart. When you think of visiting Fredericksburg, it's a wonderful place to come. All kinds of things to do for older people, younger people. When you think about the National Museum of the Pacific War, don't be afraid to be surprised. Don't think the convention you have when you come into this museum is going to be the same way. We're always trying to make sure our museum reaches for everyone. And I guess my last thought is keep your eyes peeled. We're now in the process of renovating our major gallery, which is the Bush Gallery, which opened up in a couple of years. And I think you'll find that very exciting. That's really cool. To learn more about your world, where would you direct us? The easiest thing to find out more information about the National Museum of the Pacific War is to go to pacificwarmuseum.org. There you'll find a host of information, and I think you will find it easy to contact someone, especially me, David Shields, your museum director. Thank you so much, David. I'm your host, Tom Wilmer, reporting from the Museum of the Pacific War in Fredericksburg, Texas. We'll see you here.
Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune pool to dining in Hearst's private guest house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students, preserving the past and inspiring future generations of dreamers. These children experience a world of science, technology, engineering, art, and math at Hearst Castle STEAM, along with studying the legacy of Julia Morgan, one of the most important women in the history of engineering and architecture. The foundation at Hearst Castle not only changes the lives of children, but also provides lifetime memories and unrivaled experiences for our generous donors and members. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on NPR.org's podcast directory. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher.com, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world. To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to ThomasWilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station. I listen to WNYC in New York. In fact, NPR is all I listen to. If I didn't have NPR, I would feel like my lifeline to the world has been cut. So yes, please support your local NPR station.